Yesterday, I officiated the wedding service of Andrew and Leah, Andrew Anderson and Leah Perona. And Andrew, you will know, many of you know him, Andrew has been our bass player for a while. And we officiated the service, the ceremony, and it was a beautiful service there out at Sterling Stables. I guess this stable wedding thing is the hip thing and the way to go nowadays. And so anyways, we did it. We were hip. And I was sitting at the reception there in the barn and listening to the speeches by the best man and the maid of honor, and I was thinking about how fun it was, how just the fun, just the, the service, the wedding service, seeing these two young lives come together in marriage, and, and that Andrew and Leah were just at the beginning of their journey of love. Here they were just, you know, as that song, who was it, the Carpenters, saying about, you know, here we are, and now we're, I don't know, you guys, I'm not that old. Anyway, we've only just begun. Yeah, that was them yesterday. Thank you, Kevin. I knew Kevin would come through for me. He loves that classic music. Anyways, we've only just begun, and that was Andrew and Leah yesterday. And as I sat there in the reception and Mary Jo by my side, I was thinking and reflecting about the fact that this is our 25th year of marriage, and we will celebrate our anniversary in December, on December 18th, number 25, but I've just kind of decided to celebrate all year round, so this whole year. So if you just get tired of me bringing it up, I'm just celebrating for, you know, 25 years. I mean, it's a lot. So, um, and I thought about how much Mary Jo and I love each other and how we've learned to love each other over these 25 years. And I'm sure there's another couple that would chime in and say how much they know about loving each other. And they would say to Mary Jo, and I will wait till you're 50th, right? In Orlando, I was blessed to do a wedding vow renewal ceremony and party for this dear couple in our church. And it was their 60th anniversary. And it was just a sweet, sweet time. But as much as we know about human love, Then there is the perfect love of God that we have to comprehend to understand, to try to understand it. And as much as we begin to understand the love of God, there's so much more to learn. There's so much to know. There's so much more to experience of the love of God. The love of God is so perfect, so vast, so incredible. uh, It's been compared to the ocean. I mean, You know, how much of the ocean have we really ever even really seen? Even with all the submarines and exploration of the oceans, how much of it have we really seen? Not much. Not much of it. And it's a little bit like the love of God. There's so much more to know. There's so much more to learn. There's so much more to experience. Tonight, I want to demonstrate the love of God that he has for us in a little bit of more of an unusual way. I want to show you the love of God for us by virtue of the great lengths that he went to demonstrate and deliver that love to us. I want to take you back to the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Can we go back there? That's, we're going back 2,000 years 
And I want to take you back to Luke chapter 23. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And Jesus was put on trial before Pilate. And so let's read that text tonight. Luke 23, verse 1. It says this, Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is a Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were there the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. So we have these verses that we've read. This is the context of Jesus standing before Pilate. And here, Pilate, Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken into custody. And now he stands before Pilate. Can you imagine? I mean, let's think back for a second. Here, Jesus is the son of God. He's, he's taken on flesh. He was born uh, in Bethlehem of Judea on that, on that day. The, you know, we celebrate Christmas and all the rest of it. That humble way that he came. There he was placed in the manger and here he is, all these years later, he's had the ministry, he's, the disciples have gathered around, and now he's gone to Jerusalem, and he's allowed himself to be taken into custody. He's allowed himself to be arrested and taken into custody, and now he's standing trial before Pilate, and he was questioned. Who was Pilate? Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. And so here is the Roman governor, Pilate, Asking on perhaps uh, for Caesar, are you the king of the Jews? This, of course, was one of the charges. He says he's a king. He's the king of the Jews. And so Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it is as you say. It is as you say. And it's really kind of, you know, he just kind of acknowledged. It wasn't like he was making a major point of it. it. wasn't like he's making a defense. He's not making a case for it. He just said, it is as you say. There's a, there's a parallel uh, scripture. There's, you know, in the synoptic gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are called the synoptic gospels. And they're called the synoptic gospels because there are a lot of similarities between those three gospels. And then you have John which is kind of, it's, it's kind of its own thing. It's kind of, you know, John wrote that in kind of a, a very different way. But you have this parallel passage in Matthew 27, beginning at 13. I'll have it on the screen for you. It says this, Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not a word, so that the governor marveled greatly. So he had asked him, Hey, are you the king of the Jews? Yeah, it is as you say. But the accusations came, those that were there, those that had come as a part to bring accusation, to bring witnesses, to bring this case against Jesus. And the, the, really the feeling of Jesus before a pilot was this. 
Pilate really trying to get something out of him, trying to, you know, get a response out of him. Don't you hear how many things? Don't you hear the, the charges that you have been brought here under? Don't you hear the accusations against you? They testify against you. But he answered him, verse 14, but he answered him not one word so that the governor marveled greatly. He answered him nothing. Nothing. He was silent. They were basically accusing him of three political crimes. Let's go back to Luke chapter 23, our text that we read. What were the crimes that Jesus was being charged with? Look at verse 2, and it says, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation. There's the first charge. The first charge was they were uh, charging him with perverting the nation. Later in the passage, they said he stirs up the people. He perverts the nation. He stirs up the people, causing riots, perverting the nation, stirring up the people. Then the second accusation was there, it says, and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. So they're charging him with kind of basically being out there, you know, not paying his taxes and forbidding others to pay their taxes. And then the third uh, accusation, the third charge, was saying that he himself is a Christ, a king. The charge is this. He says he's a king. We have a king, but this man says that he's a king. He's a Christ. And so basically, in other words, the three political charges against him were tax evasion, treason, and terrorism. Tax evasion, treason, and terrorism. These were the charges against Jesus. Now, does this sound familiar? (laughs) In the political world, nothing's changed, really. In 2,000 years, and Solomon said it 3,000 years ago, there's nothing new under the sun. People being charged of these things. And here Jesus, can you think of it? Here Jesus is the king of glory. The son of God, the second person of the Trinity, one with the father, came down from the throne of heaven, the throne room of heaven, the glory, the splendor, the beauty of it all, the the host of heaven gathered round the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And here he is before Pilate being charged with tax evasion, treason, and terrorism. Wow. These were the accusations. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? And in the face of all these charges, what did Jesus do? He remained silent. He remained silent. Pilate trying to get him to say, don't you hear all the accusations? Don't you know Tax evasion, treason, terrorism. Don't you hear that they testify against you? And he opened not his mouth. And 
Pilate, there in Matthew 27, it says that Pilate marveled at him because he did not open his mouth. Of course, this was foretold 800 years before Jesus uh, stood before that Roman governor, Pilate, and had those accusations charged against him. It was prophesied by the prophet 800 years prior that he would stand there and not open his mouth. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, you'll see it on the screen. It says this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Wow. You've heard of the movie, The Silence of the Lamb? The Silence of the Lambs? This was the original silence of the lamb. He was, the, he was silent as the lamb, as a lamb before his shears. He was silent and he did not open his mouth. He could have made a case. I mean, Jesus was Jesus. I mean, he was smart, articulate. He spoke in such a way that when he spoke, there was, there was a time in the life of Christ that guards were sent to arrest him. And the guards actually said, who is this? We've never heard anybody speak like this before. Jesus was powerful in his speech, but he didn't open his mouth. Why? His life was not taken from him. He laid it down of his own accord. When he was arrested, he was taken into custody. He could have called 12 legions of angels. If you do the math, 12 and a legion, and it's several thousand angels. And one angel is very powerful and mighty. You read in the Old Testament where the, the work that the angels did, just one or two of them, and you see what several thousand angels could do. And he could have called that many angels to his rescue, but he didn't. Why? Because he laid his life down. He allowed himself to be taken into custody. He allowed himself to stand trial. He allowed himself to stand there and hear the accusations, the charges. Terrorism? Tax evasion? Treason? Jesus talked about it before. He told them that he was going to lay his life down. In fact, in John 10, I'll have it up on the screen for you, beginning at verse 17, Jesus said this, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. And so here is Jesus, standing before Pilate, listening to the charges, silent before them. He's going to be sent to Herod. He's going to come back to Pilate. Pilate's going to have him scourged. And then finally, Pilate's going to give in to the 
cries of the crowd to crucify Jesus. But it, it, it all happened according to, first and foremost, the Lord Jesus laying his life down, allowing it to happen. How much does Jesus love you? He loves you so much that he himself, the king of glory, stood before a human governor in a, in a, in a, in a, in a man-made human palace on this earth that he made and spoke into existence and allowed, allowed people to come and make accusations and bring charges against him. And, and, and how much does he love you? He loves you so much that he was silent before those accusers. Why? Because he was laying his life down for you. Because of the love of the Father, the love of the Son, and the agreement of the plan that he would lay his life down for the sins of the world. Wow. This is how much he loves you. This is how much the Father loves you. This is how much Jesus loves you. He laid his life down, and before his accusers, he was silent. Well, I want to close with just one little story. Been married 25 years, which means I've been preaching for 25 years. And over the years, I started early on uh, typing all my sermons into the computer, and I've saved them from computer to computer and the files and from, you know, Word, Microsoft Word to now I use strictly, you know, pages by Apple. And, and so I've converted it, just, it's been a process, but I've kept all my files. And sometimes I go through some of my old sermon notes. And it's enlightening in many ways. I can see how I've grown over the years preaching the, the Bible. And I can also be reminded of things that have happened at various times, certain points of time in which I wrote a particular message, a particular Bible study, a particular sermon. In that way, I've never been a journaler. I've never been, you know, people have journals and stuff. Anybody write, you know, have a journal, keep a journal or whatever. I've, I've never been much of a journaler, but I do write sermons a lot. And a lot of my own personal experience and things and stories go into those messages. So in that sense, some of those, a lot of those messages are kind of like my own journals, journals of, of, of what has happened. And I came across this story that I wrote down in a message from when Trey was two and a half years old. And I'll just read it to you as if it was 17 years ago. This week while I was studying and reading my Bible, Trey came in the room and I could tell he wanted my attention. He grabbed my Bible and he said, I will read your Bible, Daddy. So he grabbed the Bible and he sat down and he opened it up on his lap. And he looked up at me and he said, what does the Bible say? And I looked down at him and I said, Trey, the Bible says a lot of things. But the main thing that it says is that Jesus loves you. 
Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. How much does he love you? He stood there and received what we would consider some of the most heinous criminal charges. And he was silent. Jesus loves you so much, you see it all the way through the word. From the beginning to the end, from cover to cover, in every book, all 66 books. You see it here when he was on trial. You see it at the sentencing. You see it on the cross. You see it in the resurrection. You see it after the resurrection when Peter, when Jesus reinstates Peter from having denied him three times. You see it in our passage in his silence. Why? Because he laid his life down of his own accord. It was not taken from him. He laid it down for you. It was a command from the Father that he carried out because of the love of God. And I want to just leave us with that tonight, that thought of the, of the agape of God, that he loves you that much. And I want to encourage you to think about that. As you go through your days, as you go through your moments, sometimes you might stop and wonder, does Jesus still love me? Am I still loved? I think it, Mary Jo told the ladies, read from the word, you are the beloved. You are the beloved.